Welcome to TechSuite, your go-to source for the latest legal updates on the fastest moving sector, brought to you by Minter Ellison Rudd Watts. Before we begin, please note that nothing we're discussing today is legal advice. Please do get in touch though if you'd like any specific legal advice on anything you're listening to today. My name is Tom Marslin, I'm a partner in our technology team. But today I am introducing and interviewing Jeremy Muir, a partner in our financial services team. This area is all about digital assets of whom Jeremy is our resident expert. Today we're going to cover all things digital assets, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, blockchain, stable coins, CBDCs, NFTs, DAOs or DAOs, Web3, Metaverse and the like. Uh, we're going to look at how this new technology is dealt with under New Zealand law. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, Jeremy. Hi, Tom. It's good to be here. What are these digital assets we're talking about and what are they used for? Where do we begin? In digital asset land, we generally begin with Bitcoin, although things obviously were sort of working themselves out before that in terms of our interaction with technology. But Bitcoin came about in 2008 when a person or persons, male or female, uh, called Satoshi Nakamoto, or using that name at least, came out with a new electronic peer-to-peer payment system which relied on underlying technology described as a blockchain. Effectively what it does is takes out the need for a trusted intermediary to keep a ledger or a list of who owns what. And by creating a digital coin, a bitcoin, that you can then transfer to someone and record who owns it next, you, you don't need to have sort of a banker in the middle keeping a list of who has how many Bitcoin. It's all recorded on a ledger which is held on computers spread around the world. It's a decentralized technology or a distributed ledger. It's often called sort of DLT, distributed ledger technology. Now, Bitcoin exists. It can be used for payments and other things. At the moment, it really functions more as an investment asset often a speculative asset, the value goes up and down. But the interesting thing is kind of what happened next, where a lot of different uses of the same underlying blockchain technology and the idea of having these digital coins or tokens uh, has been spread out into a lot of different use cases. So we have uh, coins like Ethereum, which can be used to sort of create value on an Ethereum blockchain. And on Ethereum, you can also create other types of coins or tokens, which could be currencies, or they could be membership passes to uh, join exclusive clubs, or they could be tickets to enter into uh, various other venues or music events, or they could record ownership of physical real world assets. So that's kind of how this has all begun. Jeremy, you mentioned Ethereum blockchain can host other coins on it. Can the Bitcoin blockchain do the same? Yeah, it it can. It's a work in progress. So you can do things on the Bitcoin blockchain, but it's it's not really designed for that purpose. Mm -hmm. So Ethereum was built after Bitcoin really to be that more flexible sort of uh, technology that people could use for different purposes. People talk about mining Bitcoin and etc. Can you give us a bit of understanding of what mining is? Great question. So we talk about adding information to the blockchain and the blockchain is the record of say in the case of a Bitcoin who owns what Bitcoin or rather it's in what wallet is that Bitcoin sitting because that's uh, how you actually figure out who has control of it. 
Now, in order to add new information to the block to a blockchain, you need to have what's called a consensus mechanism, which is when you've got computers spread all around the world, you need to know um, which record is, go is accurate and can be added. Mm -hmm. So mining is the process by which people with computers around the world compete to solve difficult cryptographic problems using lots of computing power, hence lots of electricity, which mm. is one of the, the issues with Bitcoin specifically, although not necessarily other blockchains. And whoever wins that process gets to add the next block of information uh, to the process. So what that does is it adds a cost, by the way, of the cost of electricity to add information to the blockchain, mm. which puts people off from just trying to spam the with a sort of wrong or bad information. Mm. So the mining process allows new information and records of transactions to be added to the blockchain. And whoever actually adds that block to the chain gets rewarded with the issuance of new Bitcoin. So it's also how Bitcoin enters into the, the economy. Mm -hmm. So Bitcoin has a, a set cap mm. number of coins over time but the new coins get added through this process of mining. So it's quite elegant, it works both to add new information and to add to the money supply. And you say it's capped, Bitcoin is capped, so there's obviously a finite number of Bitcoin available. Is that the same for other, uh, Bitcoin current, other blockchain currencies like Ethereum or Ether, for example? No, no it isn't, and some of them are very different in terms of how they work or their economics. Uh, a classic sort of meme coin, for example, like Dogecoin, it's mm. doggy coin, uh, is basically a made-up joke, effectively, and uh, whoever creates it can keep creating as much of it as they want, meaning that it really doesn't have the same value that something like Bitcoin does, where at least there is a set cap, so there are eternal, internal economics around how it operates. So yeah, it's, it's a bit buyer beware if you're looking at these as investment assets mm. because you do have to understand that they're all different. And highly volatile. Uh, you mentioned that the ledger, the, the distributed technology ledger is on computers around the world. What kind of computers? Are we talking people's home infrastructure PCs? Or are we talking large supercomputer type computers? Yeah, or D, all of the above really. Right. So. You can have your home computer, if you have a certain amount of processing power, download the software and start mining Bitcoin, but it's going to be relatively inefficient for you. Whereas equally, a lot of large businesses around the world have been built to actually make money out of mining Bitcoin and thus helping sustain it. So those types of businesses involve large warehouses full of computers with lots of um, expensive processing power, mm. beavering away 24-7, actually solving these equations and adding new information to the blockchain and earning Bitcoin. And when they add the next bit of information to the blockchain, they are themselves storing the information on the blockchain? So they are considered a node, is that correct? Yeah, exactly. So the nodes are the, the, the distributed computers around the world. Great. Really interesting. Thank you. All right, Jeremy, I'm going to test you out on some three-letter acronyms and what they are. What is a DAO or DAO? A DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. And basically, it is a new form of organization, which is not 
currently or generally backed by a legal structure in the way that a company is or an incorporated society, but it is built around code. So in the decentralized world, we use things called smart contracts, which are really just they're not contracts and they're not actually that smart. They're really just programs that if you feed information in, they will execute a result. So you could have a smart contract for um, a contract which is a, a swap transaction or something which automates the payments going there backwards and forwards. So mm-hmm. if person A does B, then person X pays Y. Mm-hmm. So smart contracts are really just code. So Bitcoin, for example, is based on a smart contract which says this is how it operates. Mm. So taking a step back to DAOs, DAOs are organizations that are built around smart contracts and code. So they may have a token which members of the DAO can hold the token and if you hold the token then you can vote on certain proposals. So the DAO is a way of organizing people and processes in a decentralized manner. Now DAOs can be more or less decentralized, so they may actually have a core group of people or developers who are pushing the ideas or who have power to control it at an early stage, and eventually it gets maybe through to a more decentralized ideal where it functions without the need for people. Interesting. And if there are people involved and they want to change the organization, it's, there's a need for consensus? How does that work? If you need to make a change to a DAO, it really depends on how it's set up because it is simply code. So sometimes you may not be able to change it at all. Mm. And in that case, if there is a blockchain underneath, you may need to do what's called a fork, mm. where basically you cut the blockchain in two and it devolves down two separate paths. So. You have one which is the original and one which has the changed set of facts that you um, that fix the problem that you wanted to change. So that has happened uh, in a number of well-known cases in the crypto world. Mm. Other DAOs could be built with a sort of backdoor function which allows the programmers or the, the development committee behind it to step in and make changes either for the initial period um, or forever. Mm. Next one. NFTs. NFTs. NFT stands for non-fungible token. And in our team, we put the fun in non-fungible tokens. (laughs) So if you consider something like Bitcoin, Bitcoin is a fungible token. One Bitcoin is the same as the next one. It's like cash. Cash is fungible. One dollar coin is the, the same or worth the same as another dollar coin, and they're interchangeable. So many of the original sort of crypto digital assets were fungible, so they're really just exchangeable tokens. Non-fungible tokens mean that each token has its own separate value, identity, and characteristics. The most common use case for NFTs so far has been for digital collectibles or art. So you might have a digital picture Or you might have a real-world picture, which could be a a painting or something in in real life. IRL, if you want another three-letter acronym. (laughs) Now, the NFT provides the record of ownership of that and allows it to be transferred using the digital rails of Web3, the the metaverse, however you want to call it, or just using um, crypto exchanges allows it to be traded, sold, ownership to change. Mm. 
So NFTs have been used to um, build and transfer and swap and trade those types of collectibles and art. And what, what is useful about them, particularly for art, for example, is that if you build them into a smart contract or you program, program the token so that it has certain rights and obligations attached to it, it could mean, for example, that every time the NFT token representing the artwork is sold, even down several steps down the track, that could trigger a payment of cryptocurrency or part of the sale price gets paid back to the wallet of the original artist or creator which really gets around one of the classic issues in the art world of you sell it to a gallery as an artist and that's all you get and all of the profits that accrue down the track don't go to the artist so really interesting and there are lots of other cases for nfts that are being worked through like what so in some places people have started looking at nfts as records of title so in some places where there maybe isn't the level of trust in government uh, or in land title registers. People have looked at using sort of digital records of title which are themselves transferable. Mm. And you could use NFTs for that, for example. Interesting. Uh, we're recording this in July 2023. And when NFTs hit the headlines, things like Bored Ape and the Crypto Rock uh, were two of the main um, sort of early stage NFTs and they were sold for eye-watering amounts of money. Was that hype cycle? Is it still continuing? What, do you, what are you seeing today? Yeah, absolutely hype cycle. Um, there was a bubble in terms of asset values for NFTs. People got very excited about them and obviously because markets were created and there were willing buyers and willing sellers and hype and a lot of media, celebrities getting involved, those prices were driven up to, frankly, ridiculous um, values. So that's the bubble. The bubble burst. There's been, as with all, all digital asset prices, there has been a, a fall in values uh, over the last year or two. We're in what's known in these circles as a, a crypto winter, which is a period where although the builders keep building interesting stuff, the technology keeps developing, the, the level of public interest has fallen, and that has a knock-on effect to things which are priced in a market. So yeah, big bubble, bubble blue, um, lots of interesting stuff still going on. And w what I think is that it's we're actually getting to a stage where things can be priced more realistically so that the, you're not paying a premium based on the technology, you're paying whatever the, the actual item, the digital item is worth to you, and the fact that it's recorded on an NFT is, is really just a, me a mechanic. It's interesting looking at NFTs, as recently as this year at the Aotearoa Art Fair, Gordon Walters was exhibiting one of his pieces of art as an NFT, which was re very reasonably priced. Um, and that is a, obviously is unique and, and authenticated. So is this really where we're seeing perhaps the market moving to away from board apes and stones to more sort of a, a recognized artwork? Yeah, I hope so. And there is a great company in New Zealand called Glorious Digital who we've done some work with who are basically trying to bring NFTs around to this kind of genuine artwork by genuine artists but also 
other things like sports-related memorabilia or, or mm. items as well, and to price them at a level which is consistent with what people think they are worth rather than what an inflated market bubble prices them at, and to provide a, a good user experience. And part of that's around showing people how these NFTs can be used, so demonstrating how they can be displayed in a home environment on like a frame TV or something like that, and just really helping people understand the technology whilst not getting caught up in the technology, focusing on the artwork, and as I said before, allowing the artist to be rewarded on an ongoing basis through the way the technology enables. Next question for you. It's, not long, it's no longer a three-letter acronym. It's got four in it. CBDCs, what are they? Central bank digital currencies. Starting from Bitcoin and then developing this new world of, of coins and privately owned current or privately generated currencies, governments have paid a lot of interest and attention to the fact that there are these sort of alternative economies being built that governments don't control. And more than that, that are outside basic economics in the sense that they're not part of the money supply that, that central banks can work with to enable economies to run smoothly. So there is a lot of interest in ensuring that these new currencies don't crowd out existing government-issued, what we call fiat, government-issued mm. currencies. So CBDCs are central bank digital currencies. So this is governments looking at what's going on in the digital asset world, looking at cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and other variants, and saying maybe we should be using these electronic rails as well in the future so that government-issued currencies, so New Zealand dollars, aren't crowded out by these electronic monies. Now, we already have within the crypto world digital versions of, say, a New Zealand dollar, which is called a stablecoin. Mm -hmm. And a stablecoin is a cryptocurrency which is pegged or linked to a government-issued currency. So there are various US dollar cryptocurrency coins, and we have a New Zealand dollar NZDS stablecoin that we helped a company called Techamint uh, design and launch. Mm -hmm. So the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, as part of its Temoni Animata electronic money uh, consultation project and looking at the future of things like cash versus electronic money, is looking closely at whether New Zealand might benefit from having a CBDC, a digital, uh, potentially blockchain-based version of the New Zealand dollar which is still within the money supply system and therefore subject to economic policy and all those good things that both central banks and governments like. Final question for you on these acronyms. Web3 Metaverse. Give us a potted summary. Yeah, so Web3, the Metaverse, these are big terms, but they're quite useful for trying to give value to why we are working in this space. So why we are looking at digital currencies, exotic coins, NFTs. So Web3 is a catch-all term. It comes from Web1 being effectively the first version of the internet, which was read-only, where you would have websites that you would visit and you would look at. Web2 was the next stage, which was read-write. So that was the, the development of things like social media and the monetization of the internet. Mm. 
Web3 is a new iteration which is read, write, own. It's really about users perhaps owning their content or having digital ownership of the information, the data, the, the digital things that they interact with or own or work with in the digital environment. Metaverse is a slightly different take on the concept. Metaverse or metaverses are digital online worlds which are continuous, can be accessed by people all around the world. At the moment, the versions of that we have might be games, things like Fortnite or Roblox, if you're engaged in those or your children are. And it's easy to see a future where we will be engaging with each other in these digital online environments. Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook rebranded as Meta, mm. has obviously gone all in on this concept, although it's gone a little bit out of fashion in the last six months to a year. But I think we still see a future where these sorts of interactions will grow. And you can put all of that under a broad heading of sort of Web3 Metaverse. But really it's just interacting in an increased way with the digital environment around us. So for the That's how I see it, at least. Great. And so for the sci-fi um, buffins listening to this, are we, are we looking at Ready Player One type stuff with Metaverse? Or are we, is, it, is it that kind of area? Look, and Ready Player One is a good gateway drug, if you like, to one version of the future that you could see. But realistically, it's a step back from that. It's using our phones more. It's augmented reality where you look through your phone and you get information about the environment around you. It's ultimately glasses. It's it's looking at your fridge and your fridge talking to your, your cell phone and things like that as well. It's all of these interactions that could ultimately lend to us uh, spending time in a digital environment, but that's only one sort of spin on it. So Apple's Vision Pro is, is sort of an entryway, I guess, into a metaverse type environment? Yeah, and if you've had a look at the, the Apple Pro video and the, the launch for that, it has this interesting concept that you wear these goggles and there might be a button or a dial on the side which can take you from sort of partial immersion in an electronic environment where you might just have some information floating in front of you, turn the dial and that becomes a sort of a three-dimensional immersive world around you. Mm. So I think that's quite a good metaphor for the journey that we're on in terms of increasing immersion in the digital information around us. For those of you who are listening who haven't seen the video on Apple's Vision Pro, it is phenomenal. Uh, Check our show notes for the link uh, and enjoy. Jeremy, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much for bringing your depth of knowledge and insight to today's conversation. Please tune in again next time where we'll be touching on how the New Zealand law applies to these kind of digital assets, what our government's doing about all of this, and what's happening in the rest of the world. So Jeremy, thanks again. Thanks, Tom. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to rate, review, or follow The Tech Suite wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe to receive new episodes directly in your inbox via our website at minterallison.co.nz. 